0: Well, thank you. It's just uh, it's lovely to be here for those who've known me for some time. I thought seven years ago since I was here for the six six years ago, two thousand and seventeen, isn't it? And uh, we've been on a journey together. All of the Lord's people go on a journey together, and uh, I'm just so appreciative of you. And I can't help but be thankful to our God again and again and again when I think of you people and think of how the Lord has preserved his witness in this place through all sorts of trials and how blessed it is for us to have a great God and saviour who gathers his people together and bears witness to his glory in this world. And I'm thankful to Kevin and Kimberly for coming last year. Thank you for sending them. One of the things we keep forgetting about we see pastors and we see preachers and we don't realize and we so often forget isn't it that the only possible reason that there is a pastor and a preacher here and here and everywhere else is because the lord has a flock the lord gathers a flock together and then the lord provides a pastor for them and i'm just so thankful that uh in a way that I trust will grow. Our congregations are being knitted together. I hope you understand that the trajectory of Kevin's travels is from way over there in the northeast of America down here to the southeast. If you draw a line on a map and see where it goes, (laughs) the next place... They can come and visit as often as possible. So we we had the sweetest fellowship last year and uh, we were blessed. Our fellowship was blessed and people keep asking when are they coming back and so we're looking forward to that. I want us to talk today and hear from the Lord today about good words and comfortable words in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 13. These are good words. These are good words and comfortable words from our God. The prophets of God are commanded. What a delightful command the Lord gives us. You comfort my people. You comfort my people, saith the Lord. You tell them their warfare is accomplished. Tell them that they've received double from the Lord's hand for all their sins. They've gone. They've been put away. We have a glorious gospel to proclaim. We have a glorious gospel of a sovereign successful saviour. And in these churches, we are witnessing the fulfilment of the prophecies of God Almighty. What's God doing in this world today? He's doing exactly what he's done all through history, hasn't he? And so just as he took these people in Zechariah, these people have come as a remnant group out of those that were sent by the hand of God to Babylon to preserve them while the wrath of God fell upon Jerusalem. And they had had gone to Babylon and been sent to Babylon. And the Lord says, I'm a little sanctuary for you there. And that's what he is for all of his people in the Babylons of this world. But the Lord comes back and these comforting words, these comforting words are words that remind us of why and they begin, Zechariah begins these comforting words with reminding them why, of why they were there. And they were there, and all of the travail that had come upon them and their fathers was simply because they didn't believe God. And they didn't obey God. And God was faithful to the covenant that he had made and faithful to the promises that he had made to them. That's, so he begins and he says to them, You turn me. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts in verse 3 of chapter 1, because the Lord has been sore displeased with your fathers. Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me. There is, there is a salutary warning in the people being sent away into Babylon but there is a glorious gospel in their return and that's what we wanted to look at tonight there is a temple to be built there is a place of God's presence to be built there is a place of sacrifice to be established on this earth there is there is a place where God bears witness to himself in that temple. And everything about the temple is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, everything to do with the temple, the building of the temple, the laying of the foundation. And that's why our verse is so, the verses that I want us to look at are, in verse 9, it says, The hands of Zerubbabel, and that's speaking of the king. He's the son of David. He was rightfully a king but never claimed to be as such but he's the son of David, but he's a type and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands shall also finish it. It's a picture of the church. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts Has sent me unto you. Who has despised a day of small things? It seems like such a small thing, doesn't it? All of San Diego passes by and takes no notice of what happens here. But the Lord meets with his people. And I love the picture in the gospel accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ being in Bethany. There over the hill in Jerusalem was all of the magnificence of religion of this world, the religion of men. And where was the real temple of God? And where was the real meeting place of God with his people? It's in a little house in Bethany, a little house in Bethany that's filled with the odour of the ointment of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and so that's the house that the lord jesus christ is building the temple of course is a picture of the lord jesus christ and it's a picture of him and him crucified the center of the centerpiece of the of the temple of course is the holy of holies and it's a mercy seat where the shekinah glory shone and where god met with his people on the basis of blood on the basis of sacrifice and the high priest came out on that great day and pronounced a blessing upon the people of God because God had accepted the sacrifice. And so it is today in the temple of God, isn't it? We are declaring a sacrifice accepted by God. We are declaring a God who says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. Every time, I just love it, every time you get to a will or a shall in the Bible and it comes from the mouth of God, it's good to stop for a little bit and say, Amen. Truly, truly, these are the words of promise, aren't they? The temple is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and the temple that's built and the temple that's being built today is the temple of all of those stones that are gathered in him. If you might turn with me to first Peter chapter two and we will just read about these living stones. And what the living stones are doing in verse four of chapter two is to whom coming? It means they're always coming. They came and they keep coming and they keep coming and they're coming now and they'll keep coming until they meet him in glory. To whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you therefore which believe He is precious. He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. He is still the head of the corner, even though men stand opposed to him. So let's just think about the story of these people that came back from Babylon. And in this story, we have the story of all of God's people being gathered together into this temple. And when they returned, Have a think about what met the eyes of those people that came back from Babylon. Seventy years had passed. Seventy years, that temple had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar with the intention that it would never be built again. It was destroyed. So what do you have? For 70 years, all there was was rubble and burnt timber. And then for 70 years all the weeds and all the vines and all the brambles grew and all the creeping things that live amongst that were there. They returned to ruin. They returned to ruin. How does God Almighty get glory in the midst of that? And so it's his, it is... Like all of God's people, like Joshua, wasn't it? Joshua, in verse 3 of chapter 3, was clothed in filthy garments. It's our experience of grace, isn't it? And stood before the angel and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said unto him, Behold, I've caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. All of God's children know that in the laying of the foundation, the stone upon which they are to be built, there is much rubbish to be taken away. See, the only people that stand and know that their garments, all of their righteousnesses, all of the deeds they've ever done are just filthy are those who stand before the angel of the Lord. All of those that stand before the angel of the Lord feel themselves like that and what does God do when he's laying that foundation upon which he lays all of these living stones well firstly when you went back there to Jerusalem you had to get rid of all the rubbish didn't you you had to chop the trees down you had to get rid of the brambles you had to get rid of the imagine all of the snakes and all of the spiders and all of the rubbish that there was so much rubbish Nehemiah says there's much rubbish there's so much rubbish You've got to get rid of the rubbish and then you've got to dig down through all of that rubble. It's a picture of what the Lord does in the lives of his people, isn't it? To to show us what we are. We are sinners in filthy garments. He has to remove the rubbish. He has to dig down deep. He has to make a place, you then have to make a place level for a foundation stone. And if you're going to build a big building, a big stone building like this building, you have to make sure that that foundation is laid as perfectly level as it possibly can be and you have to have it perfectly aligned because it sets not only what is built on top of it, it sets the dimensions of the building, as it were, doesn't it? And so God builds upon this stone And our verses remind us that the hands of Zerubbabel lay this foundation. The hands of Zerubbabel will finish it. God lays the foundation of this building. We have a glorious picture of these people, aren't they? The Lord's remnant, wherever they are scattered about this world. There are a remnant that's preserved in Babylon. Babylon's a picture of this world, and it's particularly a picture of the religion of this world. And the great whore of Babylon has poured out her her wine and made the nations drunk. And it's a p- picture of what of man mades religion. And Zechariah is showing us the glory of God's building in comparison to the work of men. This remnant is brought out of Babylon, and they're brought out of Babylon by a promise. And they're brought out of Babylon by God's hand moving the heart of Cyrus. Isn't that a remarkable thing in Ezra chapter 1? The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, a mighty king. And he says, he makes a decree, you send those people back there and you build the temple and you put it all on my account. (laughs) And here we are so often wondering about what's happening in the world. What are the kings doing? What's happening in the world? All of the things that are going wrong. Our God is absolutely sovereign, brothers and sisters, over the building of his temple and over all the kings in opposition to it, all of the kings that gather against him. So these people came back and they were a discouraged people. If you read in Ezra chapter 3 that when that foundation stone was finally laid by the hand of Zerubbabel, there were tears mixed there were tears mixed with the joy so that people didn't know whether it was joy or sadness that they were there. They thought that this this building couldn't be anything like what they had. There was weeping and joy mixed together. And if you read the accounts that Ezra and Nehemiah give, as soon as that foundation stone was laid, as soon as the Lord laid the foundation stone of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified, which is what all the temple is about, there was opposition to it and the opposition continued and continued. And Zechariah is writing nearly 20 years after the people had come back and they had stopped for a number of years and they would had so much opposition, opposition from within and opposition from without. And Zechariah's task is to encourage the saints in the midst of all of that when the building doesn't seem to be very impressive and the work is stopped and the... Opposition to it is so intense and from so many places. So what are the good and comforting words? What are the good and the comforting words? The good and comforting words and the encouragement that Zechariah brings to his brethren is he reminds them, as I said earlier, he reminds them of sin. He reminds them of who they are. And then he brings nine visions in one night to Zechariah. And every one of the visions is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified and the Lord Jesus Christ building his temple, the Lord Jesus Christ gathering his fellowships together, triumphant, triumphant, a sovereign saviour, a successful saviour, a triumphant saviour. And the temple speaks, of course, of of substitution and sacrifice and success of our great God. It's where he reveals himself. He reveals himself in his temple. He reveals himself to his people as he builds his temple. He says in verse 16 of chapter 1, I love the plural. He says, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercies. Not just one mercy. If you have one mercy from the Lord, you have a multitude of mercies. If you have one grace from the Lord or one blessing, how many blessings do the Lord's people have? All. Does that mean any are missing? Am I lacking any at the moment? Where are they? They're kept in heaven. They're kept in the Lord Jesus Christ for me. So he comes back with words of promise. I'm returned to Jerusalem. And then he says he says, My house Verse sixteen, I'm returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. And a line stretched forth upon Jerusalem. There is a house to be built. God is going to build his house. And the house that God's built is going to have God's fingerprints all over it. All the time, isn't it? The foundation is laid by God Almighty. The headstone is laid by God Almighty, and all the shoutings are grace, grace unto it. And He is not just there idly standing by. He says in chapter, in verse two of verse five of chapter two, He says, "For I saith the Lord will be unto her a wall of fire round about." and will be the glory in the midst of her. If you don't think the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is precious, you're dealing with someone who thinks it's very, very precious indeed. And you don't touch the church of the Lord Jesus Christ without dealing with that fire. Multitudes are realising that as we speak at this very moment. And God will measure it and I will be the glory in the midst of her. I will be the glory. In verse 10 he says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for I will dwell in the midst of thee. The Lord Jesus Christ builds his church and he dwells in the midst of her and he stands protecting her. The angels encamp around us. If we could be led of God to simply believe what God says about what he's doing, where he gathers his people and where the gospel is preached, we would be in awe. If we had a glimpse of what was happening where the Lord gathers his people and where his gospel of free and sovereign grace and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ was proclaimed, if we could see a glimpse of that from heaven's perspective, we would be in awe. God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, says that where he gathers his people, there he is in the midst of them. Angels are camping around us. He is in the midst of us. We are, according to God, the temple of God. God. We are a building wherever the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, wherever Christ is raised up in the glory of his being, in the glory of just simply what it says in the scriptures about him. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Built on these words of Zechariah, aren't right? Because these words of Zechariah are words about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. That's this stone that's being laid here. In whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Amen. It's true whether we say amen or not. It's true, isn't it? God said it. God said it. What a precious place to be. What a precious, precious gospel to declare. All of the stones are laid upon this one stone, this one stone of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what a lovely picture of these stones, as I said earlier. All of the stones know themselves to be like Joshua. Joshua is a picture of the high priest, but it also is a picture of all of the children of God who are made kings and priests unto God. We're clothed in filthy garments and we stood before the angel and he answered and spake, unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments. I want you to note carefully what Joshua is doing here and Joshua is saying. The Lord said, we can go back to verse 2. He said, The Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked the... O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments before the angel of the Lord and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. What garments the Lord Jesus Christ bore when he bore our sins in his own body on the tree? What extraordinary extraordinary filth, the filth that goes through our minds that no one ever notices, the filth of all of our actions, the filth of our fall in our father Adam when we said to God, you get out of my life, and we said to Satan, I'll have your words and your promises and your reward in this world. What extraordinary filth covered the Lord Jesus Christ. What a remarkable gospel we have that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And he bore them all, all of them. The sins that I'm committing now, he bore in his own body on the tree. The sins that I'll commit until the last breath that I breathe on this earth. He bore them all, these filthy garments. And what does God say? He says, You take them away. And behold, he says, I've caused all thine iniquity to pass from thee. The Lord Jesus Christ owned the sins of all of his people because of his eternal union with them. He says in Psalm 40 and many other places in the Old Testament Scriptures, he says they're my sins. Such was the union and such was the covenantal promise that the Lord Jesus Christ owned my sins as his own. And he says... I've caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. What extraordinary raiment are all the children of God robed in. We're robed in the very robes of his righteousness now, brothers and sisters. That's how we stand before God Almighty. But also, as much as it's a picture of us, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are united to him. And he says... In verse nine, um, I'm sorry. Let's go down to verse ten. He said, "Here now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows, that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at." The gospel is a gospel of of grace, but it's also a gospel of amazing grace, isn't it? People wonder at us, don't they? Why on earth are you doing the things you're doing? Why on earth are you gathered here when there's so much wonderful stuff going on in San Diego and Nara and all sorts of other parts of the world? Why are you here? The world cannot understand us, brothers and sisters. Don't you love what John says? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Not that we've heard. That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. Don't expect the world to understand what's going on. Don't expect the world to understand what's going on between you and the Lord. Don't expect the world to understand the things that you love and the things that you hate and the reason you do the things you do. We, we have a simple task, don't we? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Support the gospel. Pray for gospel witness. Pray for a door of utterance to be opened. The... These stones are built into a spiritual house. So let's go back to Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. I love that Zechariah has to ask a question. He says, The angel talked with me and answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And, and those golden candlesticks and those olive trees and the pipes and all of that is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Feeding and nourishing his church personally and particularly and powerfully with the golden oil, but I love that Jacob Zachariah said, "I don't know what they are. Zechariah needed God to explain <laughs> we need We need the spirit of God for us to know what God is saying, and we need the spirit of God for us to know and believe what God says again and again. We are utterly completely dependent upon them. Then he answered and he spoke unto me saying this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying not by might nor by power but By my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This is how the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is built. Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman watch in vain. Not by might. Not by might. God's house is not going to be built by might. And it's not going to be built by power. And so it's interesting to know that those two words have a different meaning. Not by might, not by the collected might of many, not by the collected might of an army of people. How many denominations are there in this world? If you ask Siri, Siri says there are 45,000 of them in this world. 45,000. Not by the might of the 45,000 gathered together. When we had to leave the religious organization we were in fifteen years ago in Australia the very first activity of the of the pastor and the leadership of the church that had removed us, basically. We were excommunicated and they rejoiced that we'd gone. The dead would have gone. They preached sermons about how wonderful it was that these people are no longer troubling us. Their very first activity was to be part of a thing called Jesus All About Life. You can Google it if you want to find out about it. But what they were doing was they were gathering all the churches together, so the Seventh-day Adventists and the Catholics and the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians and everyone that you could name all got together and the idea was that they would have an advertising campaign to try and advertise the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what they did is they found an advertising agency that was prepared to do it, led by an atheist and they used the Pepsi sort of symbol, the colours of Pepsi and the Pepsi symbol just put Jesus in it. They took a verse out of John chapter 10 that had nothing to do with what they were talking about at all. If you study marketing in Australia in the colleges today, you will be directed to this campaign because it was so extraordinarily successful because it had so many people following it. So many people. It became the object of of scorn. That's why so many people were looking at it because so many comedians were taking... Were t- earning a good living from laughing about the stupidity of it all. They all gathered together. They all gathered together. And people were rejoicing that finally we have all the churches gathered together. Not by might is what God is saying. Not by might. God does not build his church by religious organisations and religious institutions. God does not build his church that way. He doesn't build his church by government legislation. He doesn't build his church. He's not up for election, brothers and sisters. He's not trying to win a popularity contest. You just read John chapter 6. He walked away from a crowd of thousands and thousands of people. Man with his might cannot build where grace reigns, they're mutually exclusive. You don't come to God on steps you don't come to god on steps of man's making not by might of men collected together not by the power of man not by the intellect not by the learning not by the eloquence of man you listen to the story you read the story of moses in exodus chapter 3 no one volunteered to be a prophet in the old days no one volunteered Moses had to be coerced, almost threatened with his life by God, didn't he? David was just a shepherd boy. I do love the description in Acts chapter 4 of those apostles that they were considered by the Jews and the religious leaders to be ignorant and unlearned men, didn't they? But one thing they noticed They acknowledged their ignorance and they acknowledged that they were unlearned. They didn't speak in fancy language. Their language was offensive to them. But they took note that they had been with the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd been with him, not by might, not by the power of man, not by man's eloquence, not by man's free will, not by man's work. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Fleshly religious activities give birth to fleshly religious activities it's like that Pharisee at the temple didn't he he prayed thus with himself he says I thank you God he even used the name of the Lord didn't he I thank you God I'm not like these other people his prayer he prayed with himself that religious man no doubt it was very eloquent no doubt it was very eloquent Fleshly activities just build man up. But by my spirit, saith the Lord, the spirit of God reveals the glory of God to the people of God, doesn't it? The spirit of God is absolutely essential, isn't it? The spirit of God has the blessed task of taking the things of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of his achievements, the wonder of his very being, the fulfillment of all of those promises. He takes them and he's promised to reveal them to us reveal them to us we see Jesus Peter says that we have a better view of the Lord Jesus Christ than they did on the Mount of Transfiguration believe that he says it's true we see him by faith we see him by faith it's a new creation Not by power, not but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And then he says, Who art thou, O great mountain? O great mountain before Zerubbabel. Who are they, O great mountain? Think of the mountains. We who have the spirit of God know what it is to have a fight between flesh and spirit. What's the sin that so easily entangles us? unbelief, unbelief, isn't it, all the time. Great mountain, our sins have separated you from your God. What a a mountain of sin this sinner bears. The mountain of our flesh, the mountain of this world, the mountain of Satan. We have enemies within and enemies without all the time. The greatest enemy I have is me. I just can't get out of my own road. I'm a nuisance to myself in believing God. There's a great mountain. Listen to what God says about these mountains. All the mountains that stood stand between our God and him raising up this temple, this building where he will be have all the glory. It says, They shall become a plain a plain a plain we walk brothers and sisters those mountains are there and those mountains are real but those mountains are all taken away in the lord jesus christ and we walk don't we We walk on a narrow road to heaven. In Ezekiel you have these pictures of these amazing wheels which are enormously high. I don't know how high they're meant to be but they're just extraordinarily high and they are pictures of the Lord's eternal covenant of grace and they have eyes all around so they see everything and know everything and those wheels, those enormous wheels when they roll along, what do they leave behind? Anything that's in their road is crushed and the Lord's people are carried by the hand of our God into heaven. Not by might, not by power, but by no spirit. The great mountains will be removed by God Almighty. The hands, verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel. This is the word of the Lord that comes to Zerubbabel. These are the words of comfort. These are the good words. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know, thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Now there's no doubt that Zerubbabel was there when that great stone was laid and there's no doubt that Zerubbabel was there when all of those stones were built up and there's no doubt Zerubbabel was there when the headstone was put on and the building is complete. But all this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in His church, isn't it? The headstone is put there when the Lord Jesus Christ is res- was resurrected. The glorious headstone of all that work—it is finished. And they bring forth this headstone. Go back to verse seven with me. They bring forth this headstone with shoutings of grace, grace unto it. Ah, oh, the Lord. The, I just love the sound of the word grace. I'm continually amazed by grace and I continually go to the scriptures and I go to other writers and I just love to contemplate what it is to be a recipient of the grace of God. And I love that the Lord repeats it, grace, grace unto it. It means it's meant to be emphatic, but it's also, I think, a a reminder, isn't it, that we receive grace for grace from our God As soon as we have received some grace, we've forgotten that we need more. We need grace every moment of our lives. But grace, I love what Top Lady says, Grace ceases to be grace unless it is totally and absolutely irrespective of anything and everything, whether good or bad, in the objects of it. Can I repeat that for you? Grace ceases to be grace unless it's totally and absolutely and irrespective of anything and everything, whether good or bad, in the objects of it. No wonder they're shouting and rejoicing. If you're a Joshua and you've been there in filthy rags, Joshua didn't say a word. God did everything, didn't he? God did everything. Even removing his filthy garment was a work of God. Even clothing him again was a work of God. Grace, grace, grace begins. Grace begins the work of God. That's why we love to talk about grace being eternal grace and everlasting grace and grace that that begins the work and grace which finishes the work. Grace applies the law and grace reveals the gospel. Grace kills and grace makes alive. Grace wounds and grace heals. Grace causes the children of God to bow at the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace keeps us bowing. Grace causes us to come because we're made to be needy sinners and we have nothing in ourselves. And grace keeps us coming again and again and again. Grace lays the foundation. Grace brings forth the headstone. Grace reigns first and grace reigns last. Grace lays the foundation and grace brings the rejoicing. It's grace in eternity and grace in heaven in the new creation it's grace that's promised in a covenant of grace it's eternal grace you cannot speak of grace unless you speak of eternal grace or electing grace or sovereign grace grace, grace grace is directly opposed to works that's why he says not by your might not by your power not by that it's all by my spirit says the Lord and the Spirit reveals the things of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by its grace, grace. Therefore, it's not works, and it's not works. There's not to be in the building of the temple the sound of the hammer or the chisel on it. It's all all the works are done in the quarry. It's grace, grace unto it, because it's impossible with man. It's just impossible. My salvation's impossible for me, isn't it? Your salvation's impossible for you. It has to be grace because it's impossible with man. And grace reminds us that we are in God's hands and he is not in ours. Grace is sovereign grace and grace has, God has the power to bestow it on his objects of grace. Grace, grace because of the great mountains that oppose the work of God in us and in this world. And it's grace, grace, because it's grace, grace, because God gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. He gets all of the glory. Iniquity has passed away. He says that twice in Zechariah chapter 3. Iniquity has passed away. I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Where did all that iniquity go? If God's removed it, has it gone? He says it's gone. He says, I've caused, verse 4, I've caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. That's the same word as Passover. Where's it gone? It's gone unto the Lord Jesus Christ and God in sovereign mercy and revealing all of the glory of his character says in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 just turn there with me as we close I just wanted to see what it was that happened on the cross of Calvary why the iniquity is passed away Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. There's no question about who the shepherd is. The shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my shepherd. And against the man that is my fellow, the one that is my companion, the one that is my equal, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn my hand, my hand of love and my hand of grace upon the little ones, and it shall come to pass that in all the land saith the Lord, two parts there in shall be cut off and die, and a third shall be left therein, and I will bring the third part through the fire through those mountains that stand opposed to us, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. At the beginning of that chapter it says in that day, there shall be a fountain opened to the house of david and to the ha- inhabitants of jerusalem for sin and uncleanness that's the fountain we drink at that's where the iniquity is gone brothers and sisters and zechariah says that seems like a small thing doesn't he who has despised the day of small things Who has despised the day of small things? Almost all the world despises the day of small things. For they shall rejoice when they see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. They shall see the Lord Jesus Christ with the hand of that plummet of his perfect holy righteousness. Him measuring his people, him guarding and protecting and growing and building his church. And God's people say grace. With rejoicing we say grace. Amen. Thank you.